Okay, so the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the new heaven and the new earth. The new heaven and the new earth after the millennium are, are going to combine and it's going to actually be here on this earth, but it's going to be a new earth. And that's our ultimate destination. We also talked about last week, and, I, and if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, I encourage you to do so because we talked about how God has created us in his own image according to his likeness. In fact, that's said eight times in the scriptures. And uh, so it must be important. And I think part of the way he created us, we're creative. We've been, because he's creative, you know, and we're in his image. And uh, we've been prepared for good works. And one of the things we noted last week, and you can listen to the whole thing on your own, but that uh, probably some of our greatest accomplishments of what we're going to be doing, according to how God has created us, will be in the new earth, not here. And that should give us a real freedom here on this world, on this earth. Okay, so this week, we're going to take a step back and look at how a good view of what's next, the new earth and new heaven, can really give us a perspective on the difficult things that we pass through in this life. So we want to start off by looking at the life of Abraham from the viewpoint of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 especially gives us an inside picture of what was really going on with Abraham and others as well. So let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same purpose, promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Okay, let's just kind of stop here for a second. It says that Abraham, he left his home in the land of Ur. He went out to a place that he didn't know. And, and that's said throughout his life. And you might think, well, he knew. He kind of reached the land of Canaan. But from the perspective of Hebrews 11, no, he didn't really, he didn't really know this. In fact, he's described as living as an alien. You know, he didn't see the land of Canaan or the promised land as being his real home. And he was Fellow, he was fellow heirs with those of the same promise. And it specifically mentions Jacob and Isaac, and I think probably many others, including us who come after him. And of course, one of the things we've been talking about in these past several weeks is that God has given us an inheritance, all of us, and we are co-heirs with Christ. And then very important in this passage, it says he, what he was really looking for was a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And what city is that? That's right, it's the city of God. It's the new Jerusalem. They're in the new earth. That's what he was really looking for as he was going from place to place. And sure, there was a temporal promise of this being a promise, of this being a promised land and a land for uh, that uh, the descendants of Abraham would possess. But really, according to Hebrews 11, he was looking for that city, 
the same city that we're looking for. Okay, let's go on down to verse 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she was cons- since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as that, as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in, numer- in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the sand by the seashore. And so one of the promises, and we all know this part, you know, that, you know, God promised to Abraham that he would have many, many descendants. In fact, he goes on and says, there could be a lot of nations that are going to come out of these descendants. And, uh, but you know what? It did not happen in his lifetime, did it? In fact, there's very few. We don't know, you know, there's Isaac and maybe his kids, but nothing else. And so we here's an example, the first of many examples that Hebrews 11 talks about where God promised something, but he never really saw it in this lifetime. But that was okay because why? He was really looking for the city whose uh, architect and builder is God, that heavenly city. Okay, let's kind of go down to verse 13. All these died in faith, talking about, Abraham and and his uh, son Isaac and Jacob and Sarah without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, they had been thinking of that country from which... and. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, a lot of things in this, these verses too. First of all, many died without receiving the promises. But it says they died in faith. But they did see him from a distance. But they didn't really see him in reality. Now, this is important because there's a lot of times when God promises us things. And we will not see them here on this earth. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to fulfill them. It just means it's for later on. We see him by faith from a distance. And, uh, and, and actually, the promises aren't totally fulfilled until we're all together in that city, right? And then again, he says, they were strangers and exiles. A little earlier, they were called aliens. In other words, they were just passing through. I think it's First Peter uh, that calls us pilgrims walking through this uh, land. But this is really not our land. And In fact, it says right here, they, and who is they? All those who believe and are looking toward that city. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. And what country is that? The new earth. Something that we will not see in this lifetime. And then he kind of says, for he has prepared a city for them and for us. And Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all the patriots, 
patriarchs, and really throughout all of the Old Testament, New Testament, and throughout church history, we are looking for that city that God has prepared for us. Now, what promise? It keeps talking about promises. What promises? Maybe we should just kind of make sure. One promise is that there's going to be many, many descendants. We've talked about that too, how God wants his house full, right? And that's part of our mission here on earth is to reach out with the good news of Jesus and his salvation and see many, many people come into his kingdom because this is that's what this age is all about. It's not about God restoring things the way they were at the very beginning. That's in the next stage. So one of the promises, many descendants, many nations, and then also another promise is that city, that heavenly city. Now let's just pause a minute. Likewise, we too are looking for that heavenly city, that country as well. But you know what? We have a lot more details about that city than Abraham did, don't we? Because we have all the New Testament. We, we, we have glimpses of what it's going to be like and what it's going to look like and how the Lamb is going to be on the throne and Jesus is going to be king and all that. So we, if they were looking for a city with only a few details, something that God put in, his, put in their hearts, we much more need to be looking for that city. And likewise, we are passing through this world as strangers, exiles, pilgrims, aliens. And that must be the way we view this life. And I know it's easy to kind of think, yeah, if we're that way, we're not any good here. No, on the contrary, that makes us more effective here because we begin to have the eternal view of what this life is all about. And it gives us an urgency to really reach out and to share with people what's going on. Let's go to verse 26. And now we're just kind of jumping in to the middle of, uh, of a section where Hebrews 11 is talking about Moses. And it says in verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now that's kind of interesting because, you know, did Moses even know who Christ was? No, not maybe as clearly as we do, but he still, there was something that God had put inside of him that he was going to consider the reproach or the suffering of Christ greater than all the riches of, of Egypt. And why? Because he wasn't really worried about the riches in this world. And that's because he was looking to the reward. And what reward was that? The one we've been talking about, our inheritance, the new earth, the new heaven, the heavenly city. That's the reward. We know what he's talking about, don't we? Let's jump down to verse 32. And he, he, he's kind of throughout Hebrews 11, he's just kind of mentioning different people. And, uh, and we usually kind of think about this as being a chapter about faith. And it is. But just as much, if not more, it's also a chapter about looking for the heavenly city, looking for what is promised in the next world. It says, starting in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Barak uh, Samson, Jether, or, or David, and Samuel, 
and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And you know what? In this earth, God's going to have us do some amazing things, just like some of these people, because he has commissioned us to do so. Uh, and But if we kind of read on, verse 35, it says, in fact, it's, let me just kind of read the whole section, then we'll kind of come back. Women receive back their dead from by resurrection, and others, I think that's kind of interesting, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, he kind of repeats it, experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Okay, so yes, there's a lot of people who do vic amazing, victorious things. But there's also many, many others who don't get that opportunity. They're part of and they're part of the and others that we see in verse 35 and verse 36. And it says they were looking for a better resurrection. See, their eye also was on what God's going to do at the end when he's going to resurrect our bodies and put us in a, you could say, a new resurrected earth in heaven. They were looking forward, they were looking ahead to what we are looking ahead to, that heavenly city. Not just their body, but everything. The world, all of creation, everything. Sometimes they experience mocking, scourging, chain and imprisonment, sawn in two, stone, afflicted, destitute, they were ill-treated, they were tortured. Those are just some of the words that were kind of used just in a few verses there. Is that a victorious life? Is it a failed life? According to God, they are men of whom this world is not worthy. They, yes, they wandered in, and uh, what does it say, deserts, mountains, and caves. But you know what? They too are you know, have their eye on the city because when it's all said and done, the inheritance that God's given us is worth so much more than anything that we might or might not accomplish on this earth. And then verse 39, 40 sort of sums it up. It says, and all these, I mean, those who are victorious by our point of view and those who weren't, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. None of them really received what was really promised because that's the heavenly city. Because God had provided something better for us, something better than this world, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So God has something for us, but it's ahead. And, and, and in this earth, in this world, this lifetime, we've been given a mission of reaching out to people. And, and that's going to take different forms with different ones of us. But we've got to be faithful and we need to be looking 
to that city. You know, probably it would be good just to read the first couple of verses of chapter 12 too. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with the endurance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. All these people going on before us, they're like witnesses. They're looking down on us now, and they're cheering us, so to speak. And uh, and they they are they are um, they're watching what we are doing. And it says, because of that, let's lay aside every encumbrance, all the sin, all the things that distracts us, and let us run the race that God's given us with endurance. And then he says, all these gained approval. No, uh, it, it's, um, it, it also goes on and says about fixing our eyes on Jesus in verse two. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Notice twice he talks about enduring, enduring, setting our eyes on Jesus, you know, looking at the joy set before us, which in our case is, you know, that heavenly city. Therefore, we're not going to lose heart but we're going to keep running the race. You see, it's so easy to think this life, it's it. And we've got to get it all done here. We need a bigger way of thinking, a much bigger way of thinking, an eternal way of thinking, because it's going to give us perspective on this world. Let's face it. We live in a world of suffering and corruption, don't we? Let's, um, I know we're looking at a lot of verses today, but they're very, very important. Romans 8, let's go to verse 17. It's, uh, and it's talking of the context is that God is taking us and making us sons and daughters of God. Verse 7, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, we're heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Of what? All that we've been talking about. That new earth, the new heaven, the heavenly city. But here on this earth, there's going to be suffering. And we're going to see it. We're going to see either us or we'll see others suffer. Then it goes on, verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together into now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Okay, that's a mouthful. Let me just sort of sum it up here. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes back, he's going to set everything right. We're going to have the redemption of our body. We're going to have our resurrected body. We've talked a lot about that. And all of creation is going to be set free. And it says, from slavery to corruption. Yeah, all God's creation has been put into slavery to corruption. But we're going to be set free. All of us, the creation of God, the sons of God, that's us. Until then, the whole creation groans and suffers. And while we wait for that final adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. And that's what we're looking for. And so somehow, if we can get a grasp of what's ahead for us, that city is going to help us go through this world that is, let's face it, it's, it's falling apart. It's falling more and more apart every day. You know, just this week, some of the things that happened at the Winter Olympics, you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, they were kind of saying, I read one uh, article that says, you know, we've, we're really kind of seeing the end of the purity and the beauty of the World Olympics. It's just being trashed now. And, uh, and you can kind of read about all the details. You know, it's to be expected. It's sad to see this world crumble the way it is. But it's just part of what God says has to happen before he makes all things new. And if we can get a hold of that, it's going to give us the perseverance and the endurance to go through this. It's going to help us be who God's created us to be here in this earth. Let's, let's look at maybe one other passage, 2 Corinthians. I mean, really... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the whole chapter is really, really good. We'll just kind of jump down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We've already kind of seen that, right? Usually when it says that, it's talking about the crumbling of this world. Therefore, don't lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on what's ahead. You know, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Well, it's true. If you're anywhere over about 25, 30 years old, you know that your body is, your outer body is kind of decaying because again, that's part of the curse of the fall. It's part of this life and it just continues to do so, right? You know, you have aches and pains and this dilemma and this dilemma. And sometimes you go for a stretch, you don't, but you know, it's, it's what's happening. But we got to remember and not lose heart because in the midst of that, our inner man, is being renewed day by day, especially if we have our eyes on Jesus, if we have our eyes on the city that he's prepared for us. Then it goes on and says, for momentary. I kind of like that phrase, for momentary. That means for a moment. Now, I know that most of our lives are literally not a moment, but in comparison to the all of eternity, it is a moment, nothing more. For momentary light affliction, you might say, yeah, but I think I have more than light. I think I have at least a moderate, maybe heavy affliction. Well, compared to what's ahead, it's light affliction. 
light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, so light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. There's no comparison. And to what are we supposed to be looking at? The temporal things? No, they're not going to satisfy. They're not going to keep us going. They're, they're going to make us lose heart when we look at the temporal things. But we look at what? At the things which are not seen. The eternal things. Like the city of God. The city that he's preparing us. That heavenly city. That's what we have to do in this world. Otherwise, we'll go crazy. You know, we'll, we'll end up being resentful and bitter and angry and all sorts of other things. So what is God doing in us in these times of disappointments, difficulties, suffering, groaning, bodily decay? He's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And we can take that a little bit further because it also talks about we are blessed. Actually, some of them out. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, in times of persecutions, insults, mistreatment, he says, you know, uh, you're blessed and your reward in heaven is great because of it. So from God's perspective, the sufferings we go through, the things we don't understand, the disappointments we have, don't worry because it's in the end, there's blessing for us. Actually, First Peter talks a lot about that. Let's just go real quick to First Peter. Just a couple verses here. First of all, in chapter 2, verse 20, 21. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated? You endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. He wants us to do that because it shows that we're looking ahead. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He suffered, and yes, we're going to suffer some too. Chapter 3, verse, well really there's a whole section here, but let's just go to verse 14. It says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear them, intimidation or and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And then in chapter 4, we know this passage pretty well, starting verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're being reviled for the sake of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Sometimes we suffer because of those. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, 
what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls as a faithful creator and doing what is right. Okay, in conclusion, in this life, there will be things we don't understand. There's going to be injustice. There's going to be corruption. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be things that we just don't come together like we think they should. We don't always get everything we feel we could have or should have. That's okay. Because like Abraham and so many others, we are looking for the city, that heavenly city. When all things are made right, they're all made beautiful. It's all going to bring glory to God. For now, we may suffer or see others suffer, but we choose not to lose heart in what God has called us to. And how can we do that? By looking ahead, looking for that city whose builder and architect is God. Let's pray. Father, we confess there's so many things about this world we do not understand. There's a lot of things. And, uh, and at the same time, Lord, we also know that you have prepared a city for us, a new earth, a new heaven. That's our destination. And so for the moment, and it's really only a moment compared to all of eternity, we see things and we go through things that we don't understand. But Lord, we don't want to lose heart. Teach us.